Hello, thank you for joining me today for Give Him 15. The title of today's post is An Incredibly Harmful Misunderstanding. What I'm about to share with you is not related to what is coming in 2024 in a predictive sense, but it is very related in a causative sense. It is extremely important, greatly misunderstood, and terribly undertaught. Please put your student hats on today and think. And let's agree right now, Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear today and give me the ability to communicate with great clarity. Much is said in revivals and evangelistic meetings about repentance. It is indeed involved in the cleansing of sin, whether one is being born again or when a believer receives cleansing. Unfortunately, many don't understand the true meaning and process of repentance, which can cause them to miss the transforming power it generates. Believers often struggle with repetitive sin due to this, and unbelievers can think they're born again or saved when they may not be. Statistics reveal that a very small percentage of people who pray what many call the sinner's prayer actually become true followers of Christ. I've heard statistics as low as three to five percent. I'm certain it's below 10%. You may have picked up on me using the word process. Repentance is actually part two of a three-part process. Part one, some think of repentance as remorse. It isn't regret, sorrow, or remorse is a different word in scripture and is the first part of the process. It is good to have sorrow or be sorry for our sins, but biblical repentance involves more. Judas had sorrow, and I'm talking about true sorrow. He hung himself. Judas had sorrow, same word, metamelomai, but not repentance. Esau wept over selling his birthright. Obviously, he felt remorse, but couldn't find repentance. I've seen people weep at altars when confessing sin, or when confessing sin, weep, weep to be, you know, come respond to an invitation, or confessing sin, yet quickly go right back into their life of sin. Finney, Charles Finney, was said to have had men run to the altar weeping when he preached, only to tell them, please go back to your seat, you're not ready yet. What a foreign thought to most of us. Why would he do this? He discerned that they had not come to full repentance. Next phase, part three. 
Yes, I did what most people do when repenting. I, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I skipped a step, but don't worry, I'll come back to it. Most Christians believe that repentance also means beyond remorse, sorrow, I'm sorry, God, that also means to turn and go another direction. This is obviously important, but is phase three, the end result of the process. This phrase, turn and go another way, comes from the New Testament word epistrepho, usually translated turn or be converted. Acts 3.19, the Passion Translation, tells us, and now you must repent, repent, and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. The Passion Translation's explanation, their footnote, of the words turn back to God reads, quote, Peter uses the Greek word epistrepho, parentheses, turn back to God, be converted, in parentheses, we need to not only repent, but to return home to God's grace and truth. This is a Hebraic thought, they say, of returning or turning to the Lord uh, from the Hebrew word shuv. Every Jew, they say, would know what that means. Come back to God. Repentance and return is more than a passive. This is still quoting them. They say it's more than a passive changing of one's mind. Which brings us to part two. Now we're backing up. We skipped it and went to three because that's what most people do. Now we're going to talk about part two of the process. The word repentance itself. Without understanding this phase, we either won't make the turn at all, as in a sinner rejecting Christ, or we will struggle in sustaining the turn, as in people that go repent for the same sin a hundred times. You can't get free. Because it is being attempted from our own mind and in our strength. Let me explain all of that. First, let's define the biblical word then insert it back into the equation. This powerful Greek word, metanoeo, comes from meta, metanoeo, meta, meaning after, and noeo, meaning to consider, perceive, think, understand. These two words, meta and noeo, are compounded, put together, to form metanoeo, which literally means, as Strong's tells us, to think afterwards. That's strange, isn't it? To think afterwards or reconsider. In other words, a person formally thought one way, but a new and different knowledge or understanding has come, causing what Thayer defines as to change one's mind. Okay, you might be thinking, obviously, 
A person who endeavors to change course and go God's way has had a change of mind. So why make this definition a big deal? Patience, dear ones, I'm going to get there. And be ready to think. This truly is meat from the word, not milk. We're headed for some deep waters here. And if you understand what I'm about to tell you, it is a game changer. The biblical meaning of repentance from sin, though including a change of mind, is not referring to a simple mental exercise, decision, or choice. Biblical repentance, a change of mind, is the result of revelation, which literally means, hear me carefully, lift or remove that which hides or covers. The word revelation, apocalypsis, means lifting or removing that which hides or covers. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 tells us a veil or covering came to the heart of humans at the fall, binding us, binding, blinding, blinding us to God's truth and perspective. This occurred when Adam chose his own knowledge of good and evil. When he did, his own mind and intellect took over, gaining ascendancy over his now fallen spirit, which had lost God's life and spirit, Holy Spirit. He no longer operated according to and under God's truth and logic, but according to his own fallen carnal fleshly thoughts. Adam's soul, his suke, the Greek word, meaning mind, will, and emotions, the soul, suke, was now in charge. The New Testament actually calls fallen man a sukikos, from the word suke, this Greek word for soul. It's usually translated natural man. It literally means of the soul, a soul man, or a man of soul, of the soul. Referring to one who is led by their soul, not their spirit. In contrast, a spiritual man or person in the New Testament is pneumatikos. Sukikos, suke, then you get pneumatikos, from pneuma, the word for spirit. Humans went from being pneumatikoses, operating from their spirit, led from their, led by their spirit, which was filled with Holy Spirit and God's life, to being sukikoses, led by their souls, and whatever information or emotions were held there. James actually tells us the knowledge that originates in this exalted soul, suke, is earthly, natural, and demonic. James 3.15. Unredeemed humans now live by 
And from this soulish knowledge, and scripture tells us, quote, a natural person, a sukikos, a person of soul, one who is led by the soul, a sukikos, a natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. That word is moria. It means moron. They are moronish. The things of the Spirit are moronish to the suke. And, he, and then it goes on to say he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Since the fall, because of this shift in power from spirit to soul and the ensuing veil, we humans have needed revelation, a lifting of the veil in order to see and understand truth, God's logic, at a heart level. When this revelation, lifting of the veil, occurs, that is repentance. When Holy Spirit has been able to lift the veil of deception, give us a new understanding, His, of our condition, and the will to recognize Jesus as Lord, we receive faith and Holy Spirit's empowerment. That's what he empowers. We see God's way. We want God's way and can go God's way. We are changed by the power of Holy Spirit, can now think his thoughts, want what he wants, and believe what he says. The biblical process of change Remorse, I am sorry. Revelation and repentance, and turn back to God. This process is what we must ask for and warfare, or war for when praying for the lost. It's what believers need to seek in order to overcome sin. And please hear this. When the true gospel of the kingdom is preached, power from Holy Spirit is released to break the power of and remove this veil. That's why Finney said, go back, you're not ready yet. I know you have remorse, but you don't have the revelation you need yet. But when, it, when the true gospel of the kingdom is preached, power from Holy Spirit is released Romans 1, 16, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, to break the power of and remove this veil. The measure of faith needed to believe is then activated. This power of Holy Spirit is multiplied in revivals. The power of Holy Spirit becomes so prevalent in the spiritual atmosphere that revelation breaks through the veil of deception more quickly. Revelation in essence, becomes corporate 
Entire regions have such power of Holy Spirit that it breaks through the veil and people just receive revelation of their need, of who Jesus is, etc. So revelation in essence becomes corporate. People literally drive into an atmosphere of revelation. They drive into a revival, place of revival, and in the parking lot or when they get close to the building, begin to weep and say, I want God. Why? The veil was rent or torn or broken off of them when they got in that atmosphere of Holy Spirit. Revelation in essence becomes corporate, the veil being lifted throughout entire regions. And when Holy Spirit tells us revival is coming, and he is saying that, he's telling us revelation is coming. When he tells us revelation is coming, he's telling us repentance is coming. And when he tells us repentance is coming, he's telling us breakthroughs of every kind are coming. Our role is to pray asking for this and also to decree its release along with Calvary's provision with Christ's authority. Holy Spirit and the angels will respond. Let's do it. Father, the prophets and prophetic intercessors are seeing a great thing. You've called them into your inner counsel as you did Isaiah and allowed them to hear your plans and timing. They have Issachar ears and hearts, understanding the times and knowing what to do. They are telling us revival is here and coming and will intensify this year. As your voice in the earth, the church must release your will, and we do so now, decreeing in Christ's name, which is all-powerful and carries all authority, that revelation and repentance are being released into atmospheres throughout the earth. We decree the release of Calvary's victory in the Middle East, breaking the stronghold of the Prince of Persia over millions of people. They will have revelations of Yeshua. They will experience miracles. They will receive dreams and visions. Revivals will explode in the region. We declare this over Asia as well. The greatest revival in Earth's history is coming to these two parts of the world. America and other regions will experience revival as well. Powerful, strong, veil-lifting revival, awakening, transformation, deliverance, captives freed, the oppressed delivered, the broken made whole. We decree that the lid comes off in 2024 and breakouts occur all over the world. In Jesus' name. Our decree again. We decree that revelation and repentance are coming to the harvest fields of the earth and will release great power. Amen. On Monday, I'm going to 
tell you, relate, share a story, testimony of how true repentance was a part of causing the Asbury outpouring. You won't want to miss it. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you then.